And welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. My name's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. We will look ahead to the Pro Bowl. We'll also get into Gil Brandt on NFL.com. Had a nice breakdown of the 2018 All-Rookie NFL team. His selections. There are a number of Giants. Correct. Those are his selections. We're going to get some feedback on that. Want to hear what you have to think and also highlight what he had to say about a few Giants that did make the team, but off the top, as usual this week, we are now joined by our very own John Schmelk from Mobile, Alabama, as we get the latest from the Senior Bowl. John, how are we doing today? I'm sitting on the bleachers in Lad Peeble Stadium. The sun is out, and it's a little chilly, it's a little windy, but it's going to be a beautiful day of practice. You sent your rain up to New York and New oh, Jersey because it is like someone put a fire hose on the metropolitan areas, John. It's pouring up really? here Really? Is it that bad? It's bad. It's horrendous. There's yes. floods all around well, the stadium. So, um, now, I have a very important question. When is this rain supposed to cool out? Because my flight's supposed to land late tonight, and I don't want it to be here another day. I <laughs> believe sometime mid-afternoon. Okay, then we should be okay. I think you're going to be should fine. Should be in good shape. I'm yes. glad the sun is at least shining on you, and you can actually get to watch practice today. I'll tell you, it is cold, though. It's probably only in the upper 40s right now, and it's pretty windy. So I'd say wind chill probably around 40, 42 degrees. All right. Now, what what are you expecting to see today? Is it much like the first day of practice that you were there for a couple of days ago? Uh, are there different types of drills, different types of scenarios that you're going to be able to catch? And then, of course, yesterday they went inside. I don't know if you guys were able to get any scuttlebutt while you were around the hotel. Yeah. Um, it, t- 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 uh, today should be a regular practice. Um, it's not like a Friday practice in the NFL season where it's mm-hmm. a walkthrough, as far as I understand. We, uh, we weren't here for this practice last year, so maybe I'll prove be proven wrong that it's more like a Friday practice. But um, my understanding is that it should be uh, a practice where everyone pretty much does what they do. Um, and we should be able to see uh, a good amount of stuff. As for practice yesterday, um, I did uh, learn a couple things talking to people. There were two pool reporters there that kind of sent reports out to everybody. Um, Daniel Jones threw two interceptions at practice yesterday. Um, Nasir Adderley, that safety out of Delaware I've been telling you about, had one of them jumped a route on a little bit of an out. I saw a video of that play. Um, so he had a nice play. Um, let me think, what else did I see? Um, the uh, Wide receiver from South Carolina actually had a really good matchup over the course of practice with Rocky Sin, and they were lined up almost what seemed like on every play. So you with those guys really going at it, which was a, a really fun thing to watch, Debo Samuel and Rocky Sin. Uh, Rocky Sin made a couple nice plays, and then Samuel probably made the catch of the day. It was a deep throw that kind of was... You know, they were kindly calling it a back shoulder throw, but I just think it was an underthrown ball that went far outside, and he made a nice uh, adjustment on his body to kind of jump and get his feet in and uh, make the catch over Yassin. Well, I was looking through your practice report from yesterday, and I know you mentioned that obviously you had seen some video online and also spoke to some individuals who were there. But, you know, one of the guys that had a lot of hype surrounding him was Jalen Ferguson from Louisiana Tech, who is the NCAA career leader in sacks with 45. But, you know, you had noted that he really hasn't made much of an impact over the last few days. Any reason why he hasn't really jumped off the practice field with respect to that? Yeah, I. Yeah, Lance, not just him. I think the two pass rushers that I think a lot of people thought could help themselves a lot here were Jalen Ferguson from Louisiana Tech and the O'Shea Zimenez kid from Old Dominion, who are very talented pass rushers and could be early day two, late day one selections. And both guys have had a couple moments here or there, but we haven't seen them been able to consistently win one-on-one 
against better competition and better athletes to tackle than what those guys saw during the season. And, and that was the real trick for those guys. You know, were they just out athleting people, for lack of a better word? Were they just more athletic than the guys they were facing, and that's why they were effective? Do they have the, the technique and things like that necessary to beat better athletes? And at least so far this week, and maybe they'll change today or Saturday, um, they haven't done that. Remember, Marcus Davenport last week, last year, didn't do much the first couple of days of practice. Yeah, he came on yeah. Thursday and then had a big-time game. So mm-hmm. that's the guy those two should really try to uh, copy in terms of how they finish their week here if they want to impress some of these scouts. Remember, this is the last time they see these guys in pads doing football stuff. You yep. know, it's great if they show up at the combine and then they put up good numbers running around in their underwear. That's great. But this is the last chance they have a chance to compete against better players than they've competed on in um, on tape all year, so we'll see how they do. John, I know you're sitting up in the bleachers, but can you tell how the field conditions are? That that's a grass field, right? They're practicing on the stadium field, which is real grass. Yes, I am. Let me walk down the bleachers, and I will check it out right now. And what? actually, I thought, unfortunately, and after I did my interview with you yesterday, I thought about. It, I'm like, you know, hold on a second. Is that field grass? And I'm walking down here, and I gave you that information yesterday, so that is my fault. It is actually the rubber turf. It that is. They do practice on here at the stadium field, so the field conditions are absolutely fine. Okay, well, then uh, oh, that then my question is moot because I was going to say, is it possible that some guys may be inhibited by what could be a wet, soggy surface, but that's not an issue? You know how I love field no, conditions, John. You know me well enough to know that. <laughs> no, no one likes field conditions more than Paul DePino. That's and very weather. true. And weather conditions, too. Well, I was going to say, John, if you have a second, can you take a piece of the field, put it in a sample bag, and send it back to our lab so we can get some real analysis? That'd be great. <laughs> I'm on it. Thank you. We, we, we need to get the, the true X's and O's breakdown of the field conditions. So in, in terms of moving forward here before you leave, who – are you looking forward to perhaps really making a name for himself in this final day of practice? I think the two guys you mentioned, Lance, quite frankly, uh, Ferguson and Zimenez are two guys that I want to see kind of show up and, and, and do well. I'd like to see Andre Dillard from Washington State be a little bit more consistent. I think he's flashed some really good reps, but I see him getting beat a few times too. I want to see him be a little bit better. I want to see the quarterback step up. None of these quarterbacks to me have – help themselves in my eyes this week. I didn't think any of these guys were first-round picks before I showed up here. I still don't think any of these guys should be first-round picks. Now, I think somebody will get picked in the first round because that's the team to do with quarterbacks. But so far, none of the guys here this week to me have looked like Baker Mayfield looked last year or even like Josh Allen looked last year where you saw the raw tools. Even though he was inconsistent and accurate, you saw – Okay, I get it. If this guy puts it together from an accuracy standpoint, he can be a star NFL quarterback. I don't see that with any of the guys here. Maybe second round, sure, but I would not pick him in the first. Final question from me, John. As you walk around the facility and you get to chat with a bunch of these folks, are there a bunch of people there talking about Murray and Haskins, and, and are, they, are they offering opinions as to how they might have compared to these guys that you're seeing this week? Most people still tell me that they think Haskins is the best quarterback in the class. Uh, they believe that he's better than these guys. Um, he's, he's a pure – and, Paul, the funny thing is that Haskins is really your type of quarterback. He's a pure pocket passer. He doesn't yeah. move around well. He's big. He's accurate. He's got a really good arm. And he's just a better thrower of the football and a more accurate thrower of the football with better velocity uh, than these guys are here. I think the opinions on Murray are all over the place. I think people are anxious to see what he measures at the combine in terms of hand size. 
in terms of height, mm-hmm. see how he looks um, with those measurements. I think some people think he might be as short as 5'9", which could be a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they love his playmaking. They know he has an NFL-caliber arm. Uh, Lance and I talked to uh, Sam Monson for Pro Football Focus last week. He said he is almost Baker Mayfield-esque in their grading. That's how well he graded out for them this year. So I'm not sure as an overall group they look at him. I don't think he, from most people, is looked upon as a top 10, top 15 pick. But remember, all you need is one team to be willing to say, I'm not worried about the dimensions. I'm not worried about the size. I think this guy can be a star, and then all of a sudden he's a top five pick if one team believes he is. You know what I mean? No, without question. Heck, until the last 24 hours before the draft last year when all of a sudden the rumors came out of Cleveland that they were looking at Mayfield, I don't think anybody in their right mind would have picked Baker Mayfield number one. Except Lance. Well, yes, but there's only so much patting on the back I can do in one program, so we'll save that for a later time. But just we, we just, must remember the, the short people community does stick together. Hey, you know we got to do what we can to support one another. But hey, guys, well, remember the funny thing though, Biggers was six foot and a half inch. You know he's not five nine. Yeah. That that's a that difference. is true. That no, is that, true. That's a fair point. There, there's a disparity, and even John and I talked about this because we were looking at a photo from the Heisman Trophy presentation, Paul, where you had Haskins next to Murray, and it didn't look like Baker Mayfield, if he was in that picture, would be so much shorter than even Haskins. Well, he's more so, Bluty-esque, if nothing else. Well, it depends on, obviously, the eye of the beholder and the interpretation. But <laughs> a, a follow-up, John, with respect to the, yeah. the quarterback conversation, and you know, this was a, a question that we've thrown out on previous shows. I know you threw out Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. I'm just curious, from anybody that you have talked to, is Haskins even below just about the entire quarterback class from last year, or they figure that he's even better than maybe the Josh Rosens and the Lamar Jacksons of the world? I have I haven't talked to that many people about okay. that comparison. I think it's a really good question. My feel is that he's probably below. Well, I know I know some people looked at those guys differently last year, so it, it, it's hard to really rank him as a consensus. But I think they believe he is a tier below whoever they had on their top tier last year. So I, I'm sure some teams had Rosen as the number one guy. Some teams had Mayfield. Some teams had Darnold. Maybe even some teams had Allen. So uh, I believe for the whatever teams believed were their top group of quarterbacks last year, he is a tier below those guys. So he's not quite at that level is my feel for where teams have him currently. All right. Well, that is the latest from Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl. John Safe travels back, and Paul said he will be meeting you at the airport awaiting that sample from the field so that we can uh, get it quickly to All the right, lab. And- yes. I appreciate it, guys, and I will be on BBK tomorrow with Mr. Fields, and hopefully I'll hopefully I'll have some uh, good news and words and information of what happened at practice. Thanks, John. Have Absolutely. a good trip. Thanks, John. We appreciate All it. All right, boys. Stay you got it. John Schmelk at the Senior Bowl, Mobile, Alabama. So hopefully activities will resume according to plan today with a normal practice mm-hmm. considering the sun is out. So they're at least able to salvage this final day of practice because they're not going to get a formal practice in the day before the game. And after Wednesday, they had to uh, move indoors at uh, the local college. You know, important thing to note about Haskins, and your question to John was certainly relevant about where he would have fit into last year's class. And that fits in a kind of backdoor way to everything I've heard about him is that he should be 15 or so you know somewhere in the mid-teens that's where his true value is 
And if you put together that idea with what John just told us, that people figured he was the second tier of QBs, you know, not one of those guys who was going to go top five to ten. You know, we knew who the top guys were going to be. One way or the other, regardless of who you preferred, probably you knew three quarterbacks were going to go in the first six picks. I mean, we kind of knew that. Then there was going to be that drop-off where somewhere between 10 and 20, there was going to be another one or two. And then there was going to be a guy at the bottom of the first round. And that's exactly how it fell. Well, now, you had Mayfield, Darnold, Rosen, and then you, you know, wondered Josh would Allen? somebody be aggressive with Allen, though? That was the, the question, given some of his so, accuracy issues. So the range of where the clusters were going to fall kind of makes sense. And if you fit those two ideas together, what you get is that Haskins' true value is somewhere you know, in the 12 to 16, 20 range, or maybe not 20, but maybe 12 to 15, 16. He's certainly not a top five or top 10 overall value by any stretch of the imagination from those who do this for a living. That's, that's just the facts. Now, if he goes somewhere in the top 10, it's because somebody forced the issue, which, as we also know, does tend to happen an awful lot. I was going to say happens more often than not. It, it does. So it would but not his, surprise his, me. His grade does not seem to be there. The more and more we hear from football people, and John's down there talking to a bunch of them, if they're saying he would have been in the second tier of the first-round quarterbacks, that tells you he is not a top-five, top-six pick. He's just not. Well, and here's the other in thing. In reality. A lot also depends on, regarding your point about the urgency of a team trying to move up to grab him, how free agency plays out. Where does Nick Foles end up if he parts ways with the Eagles? Where does Teddy Bridgewater end up if he decides not to back up Drew Brees? If two teams grab those two quarterbacks, Paul, who's to say that now the urgency is there for them to grab a quarterback in the draft? For example, Denver yeah. Denver went after Case Keenum. Yes. When Minnesota You're said, right. you know what, we're moving on. Yeah. Did Denver draft a quarterback? Did Denver aggressively move up? You, you could have argued John Elway may have had a reason after things didn't work out with Paxton Lynch. They stuck it out with Case Keenum. You know what I would love to know, and we will never find this out, and it's a shame because it would be a fascinating exercise, and you probably would agree with me on this. You wouldn't get as excited as I would, but well, it would it's be hard fascinating. to match your excitement. It would, yes. be ex- it would still be fascinating nonetheless. I would love to be able to go back to let's just say the last five drafts and give truth serum to every single team and go through their first-round picks and ask them, okay, was that guy equivalent to the value on your board or did you reach to take him? I would love to know how many teams reached to take certain guys because they got so attracted to the position or they were so desperate to have a certain position. I would love to know that. Well, it's a great conversation. I'm with you. It is, and we'll never we'll never well, get the answer to you that. You usually get those answers from my experience after those individuals in the front office decide to retire. Because then they're willing to, I think, be a little bit more candid with their answers. For example, if you go back and you talk to people about the Eli Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger rankings, right, right. right? Now I think individuals are a little bit more opened to explain who they had higher than the other guy, who was their first choice. But you didn't really get those conversations, Paul, until some of those executives were out of the game. 
And even then, you don't necessarily get it. Correct. So that's why I agree with you. I think it's an excellent exercise. As somebody who loves to always hear about the conversations behind closed doors, it would interest me. I I thought it would. I just don't think the individuals who you need to hear from are going to be open because they're still in charge of making the decisions for their respective front offices. I remember one of the very few times, and I know this for a fact, that has been discussed many times over. I don't know how publicly it has been discussed, but I I know from people who I've known in the front office, we were at the Giants for many, many years, they reached badly to grab Cedric Jones with the number five overall pick, the defensive end, who had actually had uh, legally blind in one eye, but they were so desperate for a defensive end and a pass rusher, and they tried to trade out of that number five spot in the worst way, and George Young couldn't find any takers because everybody knew that draft had four premier players at the top of the draft. Those four guys were gone. Nobody wanted to move into the fifth spot. You're content with sticking out where you are. And George was so desperate for a defensive end, he went against his policy of best player available. And they decided, okay, you know what? We badly need a pass rusher. We're going to reach. And they went and they reached for Cedric Jones, and he turned out to be a bust. It was one of the very few times that George Young went against his own policy. And it cost the Giants miserably. So, you know... There's a little piece of information for you folks. You know, I don't know how many of you have heard me say it in the past. I have talked about it in the past. This is not a breaking news item. But there's a guy from many, many years ago. In fact, 1996 to be exact. I mean, that's how many years ago it is. We're talking over two you decades. Know, uh, it, it's, it's a long, long time ago. And, you know, truth of the matter is, you know, Cedric Jones was a good guy. But he wasn't worth the fifth overall pick in that draft. Period. And they reached, and they got burned. I would love, like you said, I'd love to be able to go through teams in the last five years and find out how many reached. You're right, though. The only chance we ever have of finding out that information is after those guys retire. Correct. Well, here's another interesting... And even then, it's going to be hard to get. Here's another interesting exercise, and you're probably also not going to get the true answers until those individuals are removed from their current positions, but if you just played the game of picking a random year, 96, though, is far back. Let's say you go back seven years, and you go back to the front office executives. Okay, let's redraft based on how the players panned out. Would you still make the same selection that you did, or would you go after somebody differently that was still available on the board? That, I think, would be an interesting exercise. Oh, I know. If Bum Phillips was sitting here today, he would have taken Lawrence Taylor over George Rogers. Okay. If given the well, opportunity you're going to redraft. back, like I said. <laughs> yes, I, I think he would uh, he, he was so desperate for George Rogers because he wanted the bell cow running back. He had had Earl Campbell in Houston. He wanted George Rogers to be the bell cow running back with the Saints. All of his football people kept telling him, you got to take this guy, Lawrence Taylor. you got to take this guy, Lawrence Taylor. And Bum Phillips refused to yield. He said, I'm going to get my bell cow running back. I'm going to get my guy. Give him 30 carries a game. I'm going to get my running back. And he got his running back. And the Giants jumped for joy. They did indeed. Uh, that was a nice gift that fell right into their lap. It, it's nice that you actually acted out what happened in the draft room, too. I mean, we got the, the real life I, I have been told here. the Giants virtually had, like, this most incredible pizza party. Well, I would, too. When Bum Phillips <laughs> decided to take George Rogers, I am told the room just erupted. Parcells, in particular, in those days, you remember he was part of the assistant uh, staff. They were just astounded. 
ecstatic. Yes, and that uh, turned out to be a, a nice gift that did <laughs> fall right to the Giants. Before we open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants chat. Real briefly, just want to go over the two Giants that did make Gil Brandt's NFL All-Rookie yes. Team for 2018. Please. Gil Brandt did write an article on NFL.com, and Saquon Barkley made it. Not mm-hmm. necessarily surprised, but I just want to read what Gil wrote, just to get a different perspective of somebody that's not necessarily around the team all the time. Barkley had a very good year despite struggles by his O-line, rushing for 1,307 yards, 11 touchdowns, 5 yards per carry, also caught 91 passes, which helped him compile a league-high 2,028 yards from scrimmage. The thing that surprised me the most about him was his willingness to protect the passer. I thought he did a very good job with that, and his pre-draft ranking for Gil Brandt was number one. So that's where Gil Brandt had him, and he had one of two running back positions. Philip Lindsay, Lindsay was the other running back that made the NFL rookie team. So no surprise that Barkley's on the team, but I think we talk about this with any young rookie running back. What can they do when the ball is not in their hands? And I think Saquon Barkley did step up with respect to that in terms of getting his assignments in line and knowing where he needs to be on plays that he's not necessarily the first target. Here's the whole key to that story, Lance. A running back can be a liability on the field if he doesn't catch the ball well, if he doesn't do well in pass protection, and, of course, if he doesn't remember the plays properly, run the right routes, read the right holes, or, for that matter, if he coughs the ball up and it winds up on the ground too much. There are a lot of ways a rookie running back needs to grow into or mature into the role. There are so many components Barkley was so good in every facet of the game. He was never a liability when he was on the field. Not in one way, shape, or form. He was never a liability, which allowed the Giants to keep him on the field as much as he was and to give him the ball as much as he got the ball. And that's what it comes down to, folks. Because at any position, but especially at the running back position, if you are a liability in any of the facets of the game, the coach is going to be queasy about giving you as many reps. It's just the facts. Not going to want to put you on the field on third down, especially in passing downs. And I mean, I think of the postseason, two running backs that are more established than Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott made a play where he picked up a blitz when Dak Prescott was about to throw, bought him more time. And then Todd Gurley did something similar. I don't remember if it was the Saints game or the Cowboys game, so don't hold me to it, where he also picked up a guy that was unblocked, and then Jared Goff was able to get a pass off. So, I mean, yes, it's important any given time of the regular season, Paul, but it's magnified even more in the postseason that if you don't have a running back that you can trust to pick up the blitz or pick up somebody that the offensive line can't handle, yeah, they're not going to keep you on the field. Without question. It's such an important facet that, to me, is overlooked in the conversation by not necessarily the experts and the scouts, but just people who consume the game on a daily basis, and it's such an important facet. You know what I wonder about Ezekiel Elliott, though? I wonder if, in addition to that invisible spoon that he always eats from all the time, he has found his invisible (laughs) NFC Championship game tickets. Because that's about the only way he was going to get to go. Well, you just had to get that in. But remember, this is not... Jerry Jones. We're just trying to have a little fun here every once in a while. Well, Provide some entertainment no, I, I for you that. folks. Well, I was basically it's not all X's and O's. I was filling in the gap in case nobody got that reference. But clearly, Paul was reminiscing back to 2007, where there Jerry Jones laid out the tickets when the Cowboys played the Giants in the divisional round. I wonder if any of his players actually went to the game and used them. 
Well, you, because yeah. that's the only way they were getting in. That would be a good question to ask DallasCowboys.com. How about that? And then we could hear back and report back to Giants fans, which Indeed. I'm sure are chomping at the bit to find out the answer. Okay, so in addition to Saquon Barkley, interior lineman, one of the spots went to B.J. Hill. Gil Brandt wrote the following. Hill's very strong at the point of attack, has good pass rushing ability, as evidenced by his five and a half sacks in 16 games, 12 starts. He ranks second in the NFL among rookie defensive linemen with 48 tackles behind only Deron Payne of the Redskins, who had 56. And the pre-draft ranking for Gil Brandt for B.J. Hill was number 94. So Hill was in his top 100, and Hill and Barkley are the two representatives from the Giants to make the NFL all-rookie team, according to Gil Brandt. And this is a true 22-rostered team where he has 11 guys on offense, 11 guys on defense, in case you're curious. And then he's got the kicker, the punter, and Correct. the return the special guy. Teams Here's the well. interesting thing for yeah. me, and I'm not joking around with you now, Lance. Uh, everybody who plays a standard position besides the special teams guys are first and second round picks, with the exception of B.J. Hill, who's a number three, and the setter Mason Cole from the Arizona Cardinals, who was also a number three. All the other position players that he took, basically 20 of the 22, were first or second round picks. So, at least at the moment, again, these are only the best of the best. Of course. This draft pretty much went to chalk. The guys who were drafted high oh, were, the, were the guys who came through. Well, I'm just perusing through the list, and, and we talked about a lot of these players on the program in previous episodes, and I've said I think all of these are candidates for steals of the draft. Darius Leonard of the Colts, who was a high second-round pick. I was big on him going in, you remember. Okay, so he certainly can be defined as one steal. Derwin James, safety of the Chargers, late first-round pick. That's another one. And then Leighton Van Der Esch, also mid-round mm -hmm. pick for the Dallas Cowboys. All three of those guys, I think, are strong candidates for steals of the draft, for where they went and what they produced in year one. Now, the story is far from over. Nobody should be crowning any of these picks. It takes more than a season to go down as no true question. great value. But early returns, all three of them turned out to be very strong picks. And you're right. I mean, I'm perusing through the list. I think that's a great observation on your part. We're looking at pretty much the majority all first-rounders, even now, when it comes to the offensive line as well. In case you wondered, the other giant who certainly would have drawn consideration was Will Hernandez, the rookie left guard, who was taken in the second round. Well, Gil Brandt decided he was going to go with the two first-round guards, for his all-NFL rookie team, he took Quentin Nelson, obviously, the Certainly number six deserving. pick overall from the Colts. Without question, he deserved it. And he went with Frank Ragnow with the Detroit Lions, who was a first-round pick, number 20 overall. Now, he came out as a center who then wound up playing guard for the Lions. So, in any event, he had two first-rounders playing guard on his all-NFL rookie team. Hernandez was a second-round pick. That is by no means to besmirch him because I think all of us understand that Hernandez, I think he might have made the Pro Football Writers Association all-rookie team, if I'm team. not mistaken. Yeah. He certainly got the accolades that he deserved from one organization or another. Well, and Braden Smith made the team. He wasn't a first-round. He was another high second-round pick for the Colts, and he's also a guy that's been moved between guard and tackle. So, you know, it, listen, if you ask Gil Brandt, I don't know. He didn't give an entire breakdown of his Didn't criteria, have a second team. But, right. but, but perhaps one of the things he looked at was versatility on the offensive line, and not that Will Hernandez is not a versatile player, but Hernandez stuck well, at guard. He's a guard. This no, he is a guard. Well, no, no, but what I'm saying is Gill, when he was maybe determining between two guys that were relatively close, he looked at a guy that was maybe moved around a little bit or could play multiple positions. He said, I'm going to give know. that player the edge. Once again, that's just me reading between the lines. I don't know unless we had Gill here present or he wrote a breakdown, but just wanted to give you 
some information from Good somebody stuff. else. Yeah, and I thought it was uh, interesting, his takeaways from this rookie class. All right, let's open up the phone lines. 201-939-4513. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Steve is in New York, and Steve gets us going on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Welcome to the program, Steve. What do you have for us? Hi. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Lance. How are you guys doing? Doing very well. Great. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, uh, it's hard to follow all that and, and not uh, – hopefully I could live up to the expectations of the program today because you guys have good information. Well, we're no, just having fun. Um, that's no pressure. All. <laughs> we're all ears. So my, I, I'm going to throw three names out to you guys, and we're going to use them as the baseline for the conversation I'm going to throw out. Chase Backburn, Richie Sobert, and Dion Grant. Okay? Yeah. Those are guys – that we all could probably agree contributed to the teams that they were on yep. immensely. And their contracts didn't really, weren't, weren't really representative of what they actually gave to us. And what got me thinking about those guys is I've been hearing a lot lately about Olivier Vernon's contract and how it's Khalil Mack size and, you know, he's not that type of a player. He's not getting that type of production, so he's getting overpaid. And I just don't understand why teams, you hear the, the excuse all the time, well, that was the only person out there and we had to pay for him and that's the market. I get that. But you could hire guys like a Chase Blackburn, a Dion Grant, and you know, a Richie Soybert guy, kind of a guy who's going to really almost put in more effort than, or, or not effort, but like uh, more productivity on the field than Olivier has during his contract and it's not going to even cost you nowhere near as much. So I just don't know why teams when they're faced with the supply and demand uh, scenario, why don't they just say, okay, well, I'm not paying you all that money. I'm going to get a guy like a Richie Soiber or a Deion Grant, and they're going to fill the need until I do find somebody who's worth that value. Well, I think the first thing you have to do is separate Deion Grant from the conversation because he was the highest paid safety in the league when he originally signed with Seattle uh, earlier in his career. This guy was a many times over proven, bona fide, top-level safety. By the time the Giants got him, he was on the downside, but clearly very valuable, especially for the amount of money that they paid him. And he was critical to that Super Bowl championship team. There's no question about that. But separate him from Richie Seibert and Chase Blackburn, who were undrafted rookie free agents, and came out of college without the uh, Hollywood-type resume that that you know obviously Deion Grant had already put up in the NFL by the time the Giants got him so I I don't think you should put him in that category it's a totally different category as far as what you go ahead the reason I did throw him in there is because by the time we did get him even though he had all those accolades what we paid for him and what he produced and that was my point contract versus production right at that point in his career he still produced over what we paid him in my mind Um, Well, the Giants had a guy, you remember Kavika Mitchell, same thing. In the 2007 championship season, Kavika Mitchell came to the Giants after being cut by the Chiefs. He came on a one-year veteran minimum contract, and he was very critical to that Super Bowl championship. I mean, the Giants were really good about finding those kinds of guys. I mean, go back even to the 90 team. When you had guys who were rejected by other teams on the end of their careers, Dave Dorson, Steve Diossi, Lawrence McGrew, the former Patriots linebacker who played special teams for the Giants, Everson Walls, who became a Giants starter. I mean, the Giants have always been good about finding those plug-in players 
you know, who give them great value on the back end. So I think what I'm trying to tell you is that to me still is a different category than the undrafted rookie free agent who you're finding a diamond in the rough. You're looking at a piece of coal and you're saying, well, we think we can make him into something. I think that's a lot different than saying this is an old fella who we hope has some juice left in his tank or gas left in his tank, and he's going to be able to give us something. I think that's a totally different dynamic. Yeah, Deion Grant was with the Giants in 2010-2011. He signed a pair of one-year contracts. He already played a decade in the NFL. So his value, you're right in terms of his contribution, Steve, to the Giants proved to be extremely valuable. But at that point, the way the league viewed him, he was more of a complimentary veteran guy that you looked around at your roster. Blackburn came to the Giants at the opposite end of the spectrum from Deion Grant early in his career. But Blackburn was known as a complimentary special teams type of player who wasn't going to command the type of big money like an Olivier Vernon and a Khalil Mack are concerned. And you're far more likely to get Aaron Donald type of numbers out of a guy you invest with Aaron Donald type of money, to Paul's point, than perhaps taking a flyer on a Deion Grant and a Chase Blackburn. But I want to go to your point about Olivier Vernon. Now, Olivier Vernon, first season, the Giants, to me, got great return out of Olivier Vernon, Steve. Played all 16 games, eight and a half sacks. You can't poo-poo on year one. Year two, he missed four games, plagued by injuries. Giants had a rough go. A lot of guys got hurt. Okay, so it wasn't in comparison to the first year. Now, this past season, injuries struck him again. But I would argue, if you go back and you look at the final six games that Olivier Vernon had with the Giants this season, so that's a little over a half because he played only 11 games, he was one of the most productive defensive linemen in the NFL. Pro Football Focus has backed me up on that with respect to his numbers, and the eye test has backed that up because he was one of the most productive Giants, meaning it took him time to get back to full health, and when healthy, he did produce. So I would say, yes, did you get what you wanted for all three seasons so far out of Vernon? No. But when healthy, I think the guy's lived up to his contract. I, I'm not saying his, uh, him living up to his contract is the issue because I actually defend him a lot and say that this year, even his hurries, you know, they don't get put on the stat sheet, but the hurries he puts, the, the pressure he's on, on yeah. the quarterback all the time, he's constantly in the backfield disrupting stuff. I'm not, you know, his, his run game is falling off a little bit, but he's still, he's still good as a pressure. All I'm saying is, you could find a guy that maybe is a lower tier than him that can give you almost the same amount of output for way less money than Khalil Mack type stuff. If I'm going to pay that type of money, I want Khalil Mack type numbers. I don't want, well, he did kind of give me somewhat of a return on my money. No, he better give me a return on my money. And that's why I don't understand GMs and that. Well, here's, here's the thing. If you could do that, then there's an NFL owner who would love to hire you as a GM right now because that's the whole key to working the salary cap. If you can find guys who can outplay their contract and allow you extra room under the cap, you're going to be in great shape for a year or two until they hold out and demand a race. Yeah, well, and here's the other thing, Steve. Listen, I get your point, and in an ideal world, you'd love to see that, but I think it's proven very difficult for the Giants to even find those guys who are getting nowhere near the type of money of Olivier Vernon and getting that type of production. I mean, look at some of the other complimentary defensive linemen on the team. Why do you think the Giants have been at the bottom of the barrel in sacks over the last few seasons? Clearly, paying a guy a one-year deal for X amount of dollars, you're not get, you're not getting Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack production. Kerry Wynn, is Kerry Wynn giving you that? Is Josh Morrow giving you that? So, I, I mean, you got to look at around the league. Who's giving you that? It's hard. It's hard. From, from, Pass- from with- Wynn? 
but, the drop off from uh, Olivia Vernon to Carrie Wynn, in my mind, really isn't all that much. I mean, really, uh, I would disagree, I would with, disagree with that yeah, too, Steve. I, I, I would disagree. I, I think you're looking at the numbers too much, specifically from this season. I mean, Carrie Wynn. I mean, even from a statistical standpoint, Kerry Wynn had one and a half sacks this past season. That was it. See, to me, yeah. it's so hard because pass rushers are so valuable in this game, and there's such a, a drop-off when you come up from the elite guys to then the second-tier guys, and then it's kind of like the rest of the guys. To me, the last second-tier pass rusher the Giants had was Robert Ayers. To me, he was a second-tier pass rusher. He had nine sacks, I think, that year he was here. I mean, yeah. he was a second-tier pass rusher. And that okay? was a breakout year for him. It was. You know, it was. It was, it was. You could argue that might have been his best year as a pro. Um, but those guys are hard to find. And, and here's the thing, too. If, if you're happy to get one of those guys, well, the thing is you want to be able to pair him with a top-tier guy. For example, when, when the Giants had Tuck and O.C. and Michael Strahan, they had three guys who at different parts of their career played the alpha and the 1A and the B, depending upon the year that you're talking about. I mean, Tuck eventually became the alpha at one point in his career, but early on, he was not. He was the B. You had Michael, you had O.C., and then you had Tuck. And then all of a sudden, okay, now Michael retires. Now O.C.'s the lead guy, and Tuck is the number two guy. Okay, now O.C. retires. Now Tuck's the number one guy. JPP's the number two guy. And, you know, so you kind of need a Batman and Robin pass-rushing duo really to be the kind of dynamic pass-rushing team that you'd like to be. And the problem is, I think, to be honest, and I have a, I, I like Olivier Vernon as a person, and, and I like him as a player, I don't know that he's a Batman. I think he might be more of a Robin than he is a Batman. Yeah. Well, I think that's a fair point, and, and Steve, we'll let you go on that note. Appreciate the phone call. Thank you, Thanks Steve. so much for weighing in. But has he had that other complimentary guy consistently with him even since he joined the Giants? Well, he, when JPP was Batman well, yeah. and he was Robin, well, well, they worked very well together, and the Giants went to the playoffs. They did, but the thing is, sometimes you know JPP was fully healthy. Vernon wasn't fully healthy. Vernon that is was true. Fully healthy. JPP wasn't fully healthy. So I guess did you even get outside of 2016 another two full seasons where he could assume that role of Robin? And there was Batman here. I would say no. I don't no, think well, that's enough, what I'm trying to yeah, say, though. I don't think there was enough of a Batman presence to say we have a sample size to go I I'd, I'd love to see Olivier Vernon play Robin to a Batman. I'd love to, for example, if he were here when Strahan was on the other side, or if he were here when O.C. was on the other side. He had JPP for that one season where JPP was hurt a lot, okay? And that's the thing. I, I, I think Vernon is at his best when he's part of a duo, as opposed to just being supposedly... The one guy. You know, I'm looking through the numbers of where Vernon ranked, just in terms of sacks, to see, you know, Steve's point about, well, could you brought in another guy that would have given you that type of production? Vernon was in the conversation with Terrell Suggs. He was in the conversation with Melvin Ingram of the Chargers. He was in the conversation of Jarrell Casey of the Titans. Mm-hmm. I would consider all of those guys... You know, premier pass rushers. Maybe Suggs not necessarily where he was early in his career. Ingram and Casey, two of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And his sack numbers were equivalent to them. Tackles, Casey had more productivity in terms of the tackle front, you can argue. 
But the other two guys didn't necessarily jump off the page with respect to that. And, and let's take it a step further, Paul. If you go the top 10 players in sacks in the NFL this season, okay? Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt, Chris Jones of the Chiefs. Okay, I wouldn't put him at the same level. It was a breakout year for Chris Jones. Daniil Hunter of the Vikings. Von Miller. Miles Garrett of the Browns. Okay, he's not making mega money yet because he's still on a rookie deal, but a prime prospect. Frank Clark of the Seahawks, who's now their premier edge rusher. D4 to the Chiefs. Chandler Jones of the Cardinals, formerly of the Patriots. Ryan Kerrigan of the Redskins. TJ Watt, JJ Watt's brother of the Steelers. That's your top 10. Do you look at any of those guys I just named you as mid-tier bargain type of players? And don't give me, well, this guy's on a rookie contract. I'm talking about guys that are not on rookie contracts. You know, guys, those... who, guys who are on second-year contracts who are premier press rushers are getting paid. Well, but that's what Vernon <laughs> is. So that, 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 But that, that's what I'm trying to build the parallel to. My, my point is, are there? if there were about 15 to 20 guys in the NFL right now that were giving you Vernon's production and better and were making half of his money, then I would say, you know what? It's relatively easy to find that type of uh, player. But the point is, it's difficult to find that type of player. The last time the Giants had a guy like that was Chad Bradsky, okay, who wound up, you know, he was on um, on the teams that, you know, they had Strahan. And, and Chad, all of a sudden, it was like, wow, you know what? This guy's getting paid relatively little money for some, all of a sudden, pretty good pass rush uh, production. And, of course, what happened? Chad Brasky came up for a new contract, and he got a big, fat Brinks truck backed up to his front door by the Colts, and he went. <laughs> because that's what usually happens. If you think you're going to have the luxury of having an underpaid premier pass rusher for more than a year or two, <laughs> trust me, as soon as free agency hits... <laughs> He's not going to be underpaid anymore. Well, look at, and the perfect example will be looking at a Chris Jones of the Chiefs once he can hit free agency, if his numbers continue to increase. Because, like I said, this year was his coming out party. And even, you know, a guy like D Ford, too, who actually is going to be a free agent. You'll see when productivity increases, the money usually is synonymous with that. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's go to Mark in Chicago. Mark, welcome to the program. What do you have for us? Hey, I got a foot of snow on the ground, and it's about 11 degrees out, so wow. I'm not oh. doing so well out Sorry. here. Well, listen, we're, anyway, we're a little bit warmer, uh, but we're getting about the same exact totals in rain, so <laughs> we can somewhat relate to what you're going through. But anyway, go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. Anyway, uh, this isn't why I call, but just to follow up on your prior discussion, the one thing that uh, Tuck and Strahan and O.C. had in uh, common was they were all drafted by the Giants. Yes. So the Giants took the initiative to uh, emphasize the defensive line and backfill the line every year. Mm -hmm. And you know, what happened was, I think, in my opinion, you know, J.R., uh, Jerry Reese, because of his, of his drafting history, he was sort of forced to go out and overpay for Vernon. Uh, Vernon's a second-tier rusher. And to be honest with you, what I would rather do is take the money, cut him, and take the money that you're not going to pay him and apply it to the offensive line and then draft quality defensive players like these guys in the draft that is heavy on defense. I, I just, I, Vernon, to me, I, I just am not a big fan, never been a fan, and I just would like to get rid of him. So. Well, once again, if they feel there's depth 
in the draft, and they're going to be in position to do that. I think that's a smart game plan. But the problem is, you know, if you're going to make a decision on Vernon, you're likely going to do that before the draft. And Mm -hmm. that means you're going to sacrifice a guy without knowing who his replacement is, and there's no guarantee those defensive linemen and edge rushers are going to fall to you. So it's still a risky maneuver. I I get what you're saying. And, yes, the Giants Mm -hmm. built their previous teams through the draft and emphasized the defensive line and were able to develop those guys. But unless you know you're getting them, to me it's still risky to let a proven commodity go. Yeah, and and I get it. But you know what? Your tape is what it says. Mm-hmm. And is that worth $19 million a year? I don't think so, but we can move on from that. But anyway, uh, the reason why I call is I wanted to follow up on the discussion that you guys had yesterday about the greatest of all time. And there was an interesting article this morning on NFL.com by Greg Rosenthal. I don't know if you've seen it. Okay. In that article, he ranks all 61 quarterbacks that have played in the Super Bowl based on their career achievements. And obviously, uh, Tom Brady was number one, and Johnny Unitas was number two, Paul. Well, I don't, I don't have a problem Montana, with that. Peyton Manning and uh, Dan Marino. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I'm bringing I up the list right now. Real interesting article. That, that coincides with how I feel. I, I think Brady has taken the mantle away from Unitas, and, and I think those one and right. two selections are right on. Oh, right. My, yeah, Montana's now, three, Peyton Manning's four, Marino's five, and Brett Favre is six. According to this, I, I don't see a write-up though for Unitas and Montana in terms of his explanation, unless it's below that, where he explains. No, they really don't go into. Yeah. They really don't go into much detail. He just puts it into tears. But here's a guy that was number twelve, and Paul, you and I have talked about this in the past. You probably don't recall it, but I always felt that Bart Starr got um, shortchanged when it came down the greatest of all time. To me, Bart Starr was the second guy in line after Unitas. And he had five NFL championships, and he played in an era where, you know, they played on the crummy fields, and you had to win your conference, and then later on you had to win your division in order to make the playoffs. You didn't get in on a wild card. You actually had to perform during the entirety of the year. And I just felt with his performance, he was always shortchanged. And you and I got into a discussion, which, again, you probably don't remember, is you thought that Troy Aikman belonged above him. In this particular article, they rank Aikman, Aikman at number 15. Yeah, well, I mean, different eras certainly bring different factors. I mean, but if you want to talk about the era that Starr played in, I mean, I could I could argue why A. Tittle was the more dynamic quarterback who probably had more talent, but Starr had Jim Taylor and he had Paul Horning and he had a phenomenal offensive line in front of him, and why A. Tittle was just chucking the rock like Dan Fouts mm-hmm. before Dan Fouts was even born. You know, I mean, when you talk about the pure passers at the quarterback position from the yesteryear day, and again, I think modern football started in 56 when the Giants beat the Bears. If you want to go 58 when they lost to the Colts in the greatest game ever played, I'm fine with that. To me, that's where there's a line of delineation where modern-day football compared to the olden days. Um, I, I, so I kind I always talk from that perspective. I don't go back beyond that. Otto Graham, Sammy Ball, forget it. I'm not talking about those guys. But But, you know, what Tittle was, to me, was much more of a dynamic quarterback than Bart Starr could ever dream about being. Bart Starr was a phenomenal cerebral quarterback and a game manager. But again, look at the pieces he had. Bart Starr was more along the lines, I hate to say this, I hate to say this, but again, more of a game manager. 
Look at what he had. Vince Lombardi with a phenomenal O-line, with a phenomenal running game. Lombardi would say, we're going to run the same three plays all day. Let them try to stop us. It doesn't matter. I mean, Starr had it relatively easy. You know, YA goes into those two championship games of the three in 61, 62, 63. He's playing in the coldest conditions with the worst wind, with a lack of a running game. And, you know, it hurt him. It, it, cause, because the Giants' offense in those days was heavily skewed toward the pass. And that's because right. Tittle was so great at it. So, no, I can't put Bart Starr as high as you do. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. Well, this is in this in this article it was uh, you know Super Bowl quarterback. So right, you know, so Tittle doesn't qualify. Why yeah. he didn't play in the Super Bowl? Right. But I understand everything that you're saying. It's interesting that they actually had Joe Namath at number seventeen, mm-hmm. and if it wasn't for you know January, what was it, sixteenth, nineteen sixty nine, I think he'd be down in the fifties because I think he was a mediocre quarterback. He got in the Hall of Fame and got all the accolades uh, of what he had because of one game. I mean, he barely completed 50% of his passes, and he threw 50 more interceptions than he did touchdowns. Well, I think that's where you have to qualify the list. Does the list list Super Bowl quarterbacks in terms of their Super Bowl performance, or does it list guys who happen to be in a Super Bowl and how does their overall career rank? That's a different list. It looks like he's looking at the entire resume not necessarily their mm-hmm. Super Bowl performance. He's taking into consideration right. because I'm looking, the, the reason why he's giving Unitas the edge, he goes, well, he collected three MVPs, five first He's looking at the nods. whole resume. Correct. he's looking at the whole resume. Yeah. So I, where, that's why I so, wanted to see his rationale. Okay, so if he's looking at the whole resume, Eli Manning at 29 is ridiculously low, and Phil Simms at 35 is ridiculously low. He puts Eli Manning in the fun to watch. Uh, Joe down to 55, yeah. in my opinion. And, and, and quite frankly... This is another reason why I hate rankings to begin with. Yeah, but anyway, yeah exactly. Anyway, yeah. thanks for the calls. Appreciate, <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate the uh, phone call, Mark. Thanks so much for weighing in. <laughs> You're never going to get a list that everybody's happy about. No. So, no. Know, I mean, to lose it over what some random person does, it's just not worth it. Let's go back to lines. Jose is in Orlando. Jose, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Hey, guys. I can't believe this. Two days in a row. <laughs> Hi. But, uh, listen... I just uh, I don't know if you remember the conversation that we had yesterday, and just to clear it up, Lance, uh, as far as um, Tommy Coughlin jumping over, like that scenario that I pointed out about trading up, it's not to get back at the Giants because Tom Coughlin's not the kind of guy. He's pretty smart. Uh, but I think it would be for a need that he has and that they probably see. I think Jacksonville sees something in Haskins. Now, I just want to talk about something very quick here and, and kind of following up to what you guys were talking about earlier and about what we talked about yesterday with this guy, Haskins. Now, I know, Paulie, that you said that you don't see him as a top 10. You see him more of like a 15 or so. That's what I've been told by folks who have studied him. I have not studied his tape yet, so I'm not going to give you my ranking on him. But the folks who I believe and respect who have done this for a lot of years tell me he's in Mm -hmm. the 15 range. Okay. Well, the reason why I say that is because – Todd McShay, who's a guy that does this for a living as mm-hmm. well, said that he would that he would take him over Herbert if Herbert came out in the draft. And I'm just looking at, you know, as far as what I, maybe as far as the quarterback, I think he's the best quarterback in the draft this year. Now, as far as uh, you know, what the Giants need because I know they usually pick of you know need not. I mean, as far as best player available, not need. But to me, I think of. I'm looking. I'm going down the list with Haskins and looking at everything that he does. 
He's six three, two hundred and something pounds. He's a pocket quarterback, yeah. something that you and I both like. Mm-hmm. He's he's very good at reading the defense. And then if you look at what he's done, he had one game where he kind of fell off, had a bad game. But if you look at when it counts against the nation's top-ranked team in Michigan, he did well. Then he went to the Rose Bowl and played against Washington, which had another good defense, and lit them up as well. And another thing about Haskins is that he's a smart player, so I can't wait to see what what you know what happens in the underwear Olympics, like Dave Gettleman says, yep. when he takes the Wonderlink test and see how he's going to do with that. But he's also willing to sit a year and sit behind Eli, so he's eager to learn. The guy has a high character, so he's checking off on a lot of things. Now, when it comes to the draft, and, and I'm trying to make this quick because I know you guys got on those calls, but when it comes to the draft, yes, there are a lot of good defensive linemen out there. There are a lot of good the, the offensive linemen from Alabama that's coming out. I don't know if you guys watched that, but I, I watched that game over and over again. Williams. And Farrell took yep, Farrell took him to school. He owned him a couple of times in that. So you, you, you just mentioned to, a magic word to me, Farrell from Clemson. He's actually a guy right. who I would have serious consideration for at number six. Absolutely. Yes, I love him, but I honestly think that he might be gone by the time we pick six. Because, I mean, of course, there's, there's Bosa and there's the kid from Alabama. I think Farrell's the next defensive lineman to go next. If Haskins would go six, I don't know. I think maybe I won't be upset if the Giants don't take him, but I'd be okay if they do because I know that this defensive line draft is very deep. And there's right. that kid that's from. Uh, the kid from uh, Boston College. He's a net defensive end. Oh, you talking about Ray? Who? Ray? Did you say Larry? No, no Ray. 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 Is he the Boston College guy? I haven't done. I haven't done all my stuff no, yet. It's not, it's, no, his name is not Ray. He's a Boston College defensive end. Yeah, I know who and you mean. Oh man, I've heard. A, I've heard mixed things on him too. I'm. I'm forgetting his well, name. Well, you know, not, he's a good third round pick, second round pick. He's decent. You know, I, I got mean, a better question for learn. you. If Fer- if Farrell and Haskins are both sitting there at six, you're honestly going to tell me you're jumping at Haskins over no, over Clemson? Absolutely Clem- not. No, no you're not, taking the Clemson. That's not what I said. All right, but no, but if so Farrell's there. You take Farrell. Absolutely. Okay, thank you because that's all I wanted to hear from you. you. You're referring to Brian right. Burns, by the way. That's the kid out of Boston College. No, I'm sorry. That's no, the kid that's out of Florida, Florida State. State. I'm sorry, my mistake. I'm looking through my chart here. The Boston College no, kid. It's a short name. It's a short name. Yeah, Go ahead. A short name. You're right there. But no, if if Fell is gone, then I would. And, and Haskins is there. But I'll tell you what, I guarantee he'll be gone before ten. He'll be gone before ten, and I don't see another quarterback. Zach Allen. That's even, it. Okay. Zach Allen. Zach, Zach Allen. Allen. I knew it was a short name. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Allen. Allen's his name. Yep. But anyway, um, going back to him, I don't think I honestly do believe that he's going to be gone before 10, not for teams that are desperate, but, and it all depends how he does in the um, underwear Olympics and on his Wonderling test. If he blows that up, he might go number one overall. He could move up. I mean, like I said, it, it a lot depends on what happens over the next few weeks leading up to the but, draft. It, it's not just what happens in the college regular season. Stocks fall and raise yeah. all the time. Oh, absolutely. I so, agree with you, Lance. You know, but I mean, just because Todd McShay now, is predicting one thing now doesn't mean that his next mock draft is going to look the same. Could look very different. You're right. Yeah. But he's saying, but no, what what I'm thinking about what he said, because everybody, the Giants sent um, scouts to go scout Herbert when he came out, when he was playing at, at Oregon. Yeah, yeah they but, but they also they also sent scouts, though, so, to see a lot of the quarterbacks last year, too. Due and diligence. Then, yeah, you and, have and, to. And, and everybody they tried to I'm, read into that, and then I'm, they didn't take a quarterback. So, 
Right. Oh, I, I get that. I know. And then, you know, because – and, and um, Dave didn't like any of the quarterbacks that coming out over Barkley. I get that. So, I honestly think that Dave will probably go defensive end, or, or if, especially if Farrell's there, I would love for them to take him. But Haskins, I honestly believe that – I, I kind of disagree with you on this, Paul, with all due respect. He's going to go top ten maybe sooner. Oh, I think he will. What I'm saying is I suspect that, that from what I've heard – that he does not have that true value. He's going to be overdrafted. Someone's going to force the issue and take him in the top 10, even though he's probably not in the top 10 on their board. That's what I'm saying. So, Someone's going to reach. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'll tell you they what. always do for quarterbacks. <laughs> Come on. You know that. But you know what? I, yeah, true, but I'll tell you one thing. Um, Trubisky played about the same amount of time that he did, and I see more value in Haskins than I do in Trubisky. I honestly do. Just because if you look, I've seen a lot of film on this kid. I'm not a big I've Trubisky a guy, so you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir there. I'm not that okay. big on Trubisky. Well, well, one thing I do like about Haskins is that he's proven that he can play against. And another thing, there's another aspect. He played last year. Ohio State's offensive line wasn't great last year. And they, their wide receivers are decent. He had good wide receivers. Their running back wasn't that great, and he had a decent tight end. So for him to put up the numbers that he put up and to play against those defense says a lot, says a lot about he, him. He, look, but, uh, no one's arguing that he's not a first-round pick. And before we go, I want you to answer me in one word, really simple. If, if the okay. Giants think that Haskins is 12, 13, 14, 15, if he's in the second 10 on their value board, should they reach and take him at six? Yes or no? No, absolutely. No, absolutely not. Okay, and that's all. That's all I'm asking you because if if they have him graded there, then to make that reach would be a mistake. You agree with me on that? No. And and oh, if that's the case, then I'd like to think that the rest of the fans would agree too. Well, I hope they do. But <laughs> I, I hope so too. True Giants fans know that they always pick best player available. That's there you go. Screamed there you when go. We didn't take a quarterback last year. There you go. Barkley, That's right. Which Ta- I agree with Saquon Barkley all the way. BPA. If there, I would love it. But all right, I'll my man. What, I, won't, I, I won't be upset if they do take Haskins we'll, either. We'll talk right, to you Jose, soon. Thank you. Phone call. Let's hit up Len in Columbia, Maryland. Len, what's happening? Welcome to the program. What do you got? Yeah, yeah. Hey, guys. How you doing? Um, I've, uh, Paul, I've got a... Uh, uh, neighbor friend who's a Ravens fan who takes great pride in telling me that the number four pick in this 96 draft was Jonathan Ogden. Of course he would because the Giants... Oh my goodness, we missed by one, Paul. Len, you know what? No, Len, I'm not kidding you. That's who the Giants wanted. They wanted Ogden, and they they knew he was going to be gone. They knew they could not get him at five. (laughs) And there was a tremendous amount of angst when the Ravens took him at four. That's the guy they wanted. Yeah, I could imagine that. I could imagine that. Um, you know, Gil, Gil Brandt uh, is a tough grader when he starts out his review of uh, Barkley by saying he had a very good year. Oh, my goodness. Well, he did have a very <laughs> good year. <laughs> well, I mean... Come on, Gil. Come on, Gil. You can, you can be a little more expansive than you say. <laughs> Barkley had a very good year. Jeez, it was a, it was a great year. And then, and then to make mention of... Uh, uh, I guess he used the word surprise. What surprised him the most was his pass blocking. Oh, man. Um, Barkley had a fantastic year. Not just very good. Not just very good. You know, one of the things I'm going to ask John next week, um, in all this quarterback comparisons going on and rankings and so forth, 
Where would he rank Lawletta's performance senior bowl week with the eight quarterbacks who were there this senior bowl week? No, it's an interesting question, but then again, it's like saying what a guy does at the senior bowl is indicative of what's going to happen in his NFL career. So well, I, know, I mean, I know, to me, I know, but, to me, uh, to me, a substantive. Had a terrific he did well. He, he was the MVP and, of the and game. Nobody's Len. really raving about these guys. Well, but but and, Len, well, Len, the, Len, 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 he was the MVP of the game. I get that. But what I'm saying is, is that to me, it's much more interesting to hear what do you think of these quarterbacks in comparison to last year's quarterbacks, the entire class, not just the guys in the Senior Bowl, because you're basing it based on what they did during their entire collegiate careers, yeah, not just what well, they did for one week. Yes, uh, and, and that's, that's a very good point, Lance, an obvious point, actually. And I, I was just trying to tie it back to the Giants with Loletta, and I was just trying to get him in the conversation. I, I, I wanted to keep it Giant-oriented as well, I, I, I get could. that, but, so, but I, I, but I feel still, like... I'm still going to ask you on that question, though, Lance. That's fair. Well, I'm not going to stop you from asking the question. <laughs> okay, I'm just hey, saying hey, that we, we can't just get um, caught up in just the Giants quarterbacks. I, I think you learn more if you look at the entire field of quarterbacks in comparison to this year's group, not just what Kyle Oletta looks like, because the yeah. Giants have to look at everybody. They can't just look yeah, at yeah, one yeah, particular yeah, guy. I was, trying, yeah. I, was trying, I was trying to keep it homespun. No, I, 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 I tell you what, though, it would yeah. be hard to beat Loletta's senior bowl performance. What, he threw three <laughs> touchdown plays? Well, that's what Touch- I said. He was the MVP of the game. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. he was sensational that day. But I could show you yeah. guys that had great college performances oh, in no, one no. game I, and I'm, didn't turn out I'm to just, be anything. So. I'm simply throwing yeah. that out there, which is, by the way, why I will be watching every single snap of the Senior Bowl with pad and paper and pencil in hand. Believe yeah, me. Yeah, there you go. Now, let me, let me, let me try to build on that, um, Paul, because of what you said, but also one of the things that I wanted to add to this. You know, on draft day, and I'd, I'd like your guys' response to this, on, on draft day, everybody's a reach. Everybody's a reach yeah, you're for a right, number of, of reasons. Yeah, you're right. Obviously, you can. I mean, it's a crapshoot. We've talked about that before. There are no and guarantees. And the further you, along you go in the draft, the the it it turns out to be a bigger reach. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. look at look at Brant's list. He had some of those guys listed. You know, he thought they were the 70th best player, and they got and they got drafted in the top 30. Um, would would he say today that that was a on draft day? Did he say that? A guy who got picked at 30 that he had ranked at 70 or 75 was a reach on that day. I mean, everybody's a reach. And the further on you go in the draft, the bigger the reach. Yeah, the bigger the chance that you're taking. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. So, I mean, um, you know, I think we use the word too much. Um, You know, you pick best player available. Your best player, let's say at pick 10, there's 18 other teams that has that player out of the first round. Maybe a better word to use is a team forces a guy. Instead of saying he's a reach, maybe he's not a reach because team A thinks he's the 18th best player and team B thinks he's the 31st best player. So to one team, the guy's a reach. To another team, he's not. But what you can say is the guy's a force because yeah, if, be. if it's yeah. not unanimous yeah. that he's number 10, and somebody takes him at 10, then it truly yeah. is a force. And it's highly yeah. unlikely that every team's going to have the same ranking. So, of course, it's, be- well, it's yeah, best player, and that's, and of course, that's best player available fact, they, to you. The further you go in that's the draft, it but it starts in the first round, it, stops in the, it starts in the top 10. There's more criticism of a team's pick than there, than yes. there, than there is the pat on the back. No question. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why you, you always hear teams say, we're looking at our board, not just our needs. Yeah. 
because Len, I think yeah, if you draft based on Len, we got we got to run, Len. We got one more call. Important thing to keep in keep in mind what you just said. Take take care, Len. We got to go. Yeah, Len. We'll we'll continue the conversation later on. Want to squeeze in another call of Coach Marvin's in Delaware. Coach Marvin, what's happening? Welcome to the program. How you doing, Lance and Paul? Hey, Marvin. What do you got for us? Uh, real quick, I want to thank Lance for the kind words he gave me a couple of, a, a day or two ago. So, very good, man. Okay, uh, I don't remember what I said, but uh, you're welcome. As if I don't give you <laughs> yeah. enough love, Coach. I mean, come on okay. now. I'm saying Lynn from um, Maryland. He's the one that gave me a good comment. Oh, Len. Oh, okay, Len. Okay. okay. I thought you were I referring thought you to me. Were, well, that's so what I said. I wasn't willing to take credit for something so I did I. not say. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. We know because you you hate Marvin. That's <laughs> right. Oh, now we're getting to the truth. Yeah, exactly. Well, Paul's, Paul's giving me good uh, compliments, too, and I appreciate all of you guys. Uh, well, we're glad to have you, Marvin. Yeah. What do you have for us today? Um, what, Len, what you, what you were just talking about, you saying that a guy, you're talking about a reach or, or anything like that. I, I, I would say it was more, it's more questionable. Let's just say the pick sometimes can be questionable more than a reach or any of those things. And, and I think we did reach or was questionable Flowers was one. I think Flowers was rated 23rd or something the year he came out. And we lost Sheriff. He got picked early. Yeah, he was um, before. And the kid, and the kid from, uh, that went to Miami, um, he, he had the, uh, the Tunzel. In the draft, and that hurt us. And um, so they went with Flowers earlier that year, said that they were going to fix the offensive line regardless. And that's what they did. They picked the next best offensive lineman, and it was Flowers. Um, but the last thing I want to talk to you about is uh, is we uh, were talking to, uh, what's the guy named? Charlie. Uh, bless his heart. Yeah, bless his heart is right, yeah. Wow, this is what you want to waste your phone call on, Marvin? (laughs) Charlie, of all people? Um, Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't have mentioned his name, but, you know, sometimes, I mean, he's kind of outrageous sometimes, but he can get some points. And he was talking about the Miami, I mean, the uh, Super Bowl game. And I kind of follow him in a way. If I look at my game plan, in my head, as I think about New England and how you beat them, and and I had talked about this before, I think, Safeties are playing too deep. I think safeties need to come into that 10-yard range. Clutter up the middle of the field. Make New England throw outside those numbers. Yep. And I believe, and I believe that they do have a good defensive line with, um, with Donald, which they won't be able to block him completely all day. And Sue, which will get into his feet, in the Brady's feet. And Flowers is the X factor in it. And I think Brockens, Brockens is also a pretty good player. Michael Brockens, yeah. Yeah, and I think they can put some pressure on them, similar to the way the Giants did, make them throw outside the numbers. Because you got to remember, every time New England's in this year of Brady, they really never had an outstanding wide receiver that beat you totally deep down the field, other than one guy. And we all know who that one guy was. Mm-hmm. Randy Moss, yeah. Randy Moss. So Thank goodness you didn't passed, beat Corey Webster, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and then when Randy Moss left, they tried to keep that same uh, formula. So they brought it in in a tight end manner. They're doing the same thing. They're just doing them with different people. Yes. And now, now they try it with um, Glunk. He plays Randy Moss. He doesn't get down the field as fast, but he plays similar to Moss as far as them getting down the sideline and outside, sort of outside the number. He's still inside the number, down the hash mark. Marvin, that's a great point. 
Pat Kerwin just said yesterday that one of the things that makes the Patriots offense so deadly is that Tom Brady has been working with the same playbook, with the same routes, and the same strategies, and the same philosophies for roughly 20 years. They just plug different guys into those spots, and they run the same things time after time after time, and they're so cohesive, and they do such a great job of teaching these new revolving players exactly what they want to get done. It's incredible. Well, and they move guys around because of the matchups, too. I mean, Gronkowski made that catch up the left mm-hmm. sideline that you're referring to, Coach Marvin, and you know, he clearly had a height advantage on who was defending him at the time. I don't recall and Brady put it in a spot where only Gronkowski was going to catch it. Right. They put Barry on him. because That's Barry right, Eric Barry, yeah. Before, and they thought they could do it again. But Barry just came off the injured. Yeah, he hasn't been healthy he all season. the same thing, and that's where they got hurt. They should have doubled him. Yep. I mean, and Paul, you're exactly right. It's the same playbook. They just plug it in. Welsh Welker... Amendola. I mean, uh, is it Amendola? Um, well, Danny Amendola is Miami. <laughs> Julian Edelman. <laughs> it, yeah, Edelman. But it's been yeah. it's been Amendola. It was it was Hogan for a while. Yeah, it's Hogan. been Edelman for a while. Wes Welker. They had Wes Welker. These guys. They're, yeah. they're running the yeah. same playbook. They're doing the same thing, putting them in different positions. That's Based it. On matchup, they put them in different positions, and we all agree with that. But defensively, real quick, is what is, is on the Patriots side. If they go with that zero. Coverage, which they uh, which they did um, last week. Mm-hmm. The Rams are playing. They play the whole field. And the one thing we knew all year this year that the New England Patriots had a problem with. Nobody's brought it up since the, in the playoffs because they've been kind of like playing these lame games lately in the last couple of weeks. But they played two good games this, these past two weeks. The linebackers. What's wrong with their linebackers? B. You yeah, they're not great in coverage. You must exploit them, and when they go zero coverage, you have to have um, Gurley in the game, and you motion them outside. You see what he's lined up with, and say zero coverage is going to be a linebacker. You will beat them every time. If they don't, then they got to come out of that. You make them get out of what they're doing, and if you attack their linebackers, I believe, and with jet sweep, all of these things, you can break them. Well, Coach Marvin, I I would argue you could do the same thing from the Patriots side because I'd be concerned about how they match up with James. Well, no, they they could not they could not cover Alvin Kamara in that game at all. And I'm not saying James White is the equivalency, but if I'm the Patriots, I'm going to test their linebackers and defensive linemen to see if they could get out in the flat and match up with those running backs because I don't see it. They had trouble the whole season. And I agree with that, but that's why you bring your safeties down. That's why you're congesting them into those 10 yards, make them throw out of the, out, outside the lines, because you're right. They're going to go to the back, but they don't have the same personnel on the outside to do the same thing the Rams are doing. Coach, we got, we got to run. We got to run, Marvin. Please get, right, get back guys. just on another yeah, show. Take care. All right, Coach Marvin. Appreciate the phone call. I would just add very quickly, Yeah. the scheming that Belichick and his staff will do against Goff, very important. Mahomes was lost in the first half. Now, I know they didn't have as many snaps. I get that. But Mahomes' inexperience badly cost the Chiefs in the first half when they were shut out because he didn't know what he was seeing. He could not execute and do the kinds of things to attack them that Coach Marvin's talking about. Ken Goff, who was also relatively inexperienced, can he work the mind games against what the Patriots are going to do to him in the Super Bowl? That is going to be a very critical 
aspect of that game. Because he's a young quarterback and hasn't had many reps. reps. And and the point about the Rams' safeties, I mean, LaMarcus Joyner is interesting because he's played slot corner Mm -hmm. and he's played safety, so you can bring him a little bit closer to the line. But I have a feeling Belichick's going to throw a few new wrinkles in anticipation of that as well. That's going to wrap up Big Blue Kickoff Live today, presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. John Schmoke, Jeff Fiegels will be here tomorrow as we wrap up the week here on Giants.com. We'll be back up and running on Monday at noon Eastern for another full week of coverage and week of the Pro Bowl, the Senior Bowl, and looking ahead to Super Bowl 53. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.